Good morning on this frigid Sunday. Hope you're all warm and feeling good. I began last week a new series on the marked women in the Gospel of Mark. Now, there are about four, five, six of them. I'll cover two this season and probably keep on going till the end of the millennium for the others, <laughs> as Pastor Easley deems fit. Once again, my thanks, mentioning Easley, I want to thank him and the elders for the opportunity to be able to be here these past few weeks. It's been a delight. Thank you very much for your hospitality, kindness, encouragement, and your good words. Thank you. QR code to pull up the text for today. Um, I'd appreciate if you <clears throat> do that and follow my translation as you go along. As you do that, let's bow our heads one more time in a word of prayer. <clears throat> our Father, we are thankful that despite the coldness and the briskness of the morning outside, our hearts are warm with the fellowship that we have in you and with one another. Thank you for the body of Christ that holds us accountable, that holds us close to you, that ministers to us with the gifts of everybody. And as the temple of the Holy Spirit, we are grateful that what you're doing in this body is something magnificent and marvelous. We pray for Stonebridge, for its leaders, for every one of its members, that it would continue to function optimally, to glorify you and to extend the kingdom of your son. This morning, as we look into your word, may the Holy Spirit who inspired it work in our hearts, illuminating us and opening our eyes to see the wonders of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Elie Wiesel, Nobel Peace Prize winner whose writings have focused on the Jewish Holocaust, <clears throat> was himself imprisoned by the Nazis at the age of 16. He endured unspeakable horrors in Buchenwald and Auschwitz concentration camps. He writes about one incident that lives forever in his memory. Two adults and a child maybe 12 years old, had been caught holding arms and ammunition inside the camp. They were sentenced to death. The boy had a beautiful and refined face, writes Wiesel, so different from the gaunt, disfigured faces of the rest of the prisoners. The face, said Wiesel, of a sad angel. The guards erected three gallows. The three victims mounted chairs and nooses were placed around their necks. All the other prisoners were forced to line up and watch this gruesome spectacle. Long live liberty, cried the adults. The child was silent. But from the rows of anguished spectators, the prisoners lined up. Somebody shouted, where is God? Where is he? The chairs were tipped over. The bodies jerked and then dangled limply on the ropes. 
It was a terrible sight. The two adults died in a matter of seconds. But the boy being so light was still alive. It took the child about 30 minutes to die. Behind me says Wiesel. I heard the same man asking, Where is God now? I hope no one in this room is ever in the situation of witnessing such abominable, abysmal evil. But I bet there have been times in your life where you have asked the same question. Lord, where are you? Maybe you are asking that today. Life is crumbling around you and there is no help in sight. No, not even God. A skewed EKG. A suspicious mammogram. An ominous call from the doctor's office. You or a loved one. Deceased, dying, afflicted. Diseases and death are always hovering around us. And this community has had its share. Not to mention our whole nation, more than a million dead since the pandemic began three, three years ago. And when these disasters strike your life, not the one next to you, and make no mistake, if they haven't already, they will. What will you do? How will you cope with these disasters? We're gonna find some answers from uh, quite an inspiring account here in Mark chapter five, verses 21 to 43. Mark 5, 21 to 43. Mark 5, 21 to 43 is actually two stories in a sandwich form. Yes, a sandwich. Mark loves these sandwiches. He starts the first story, stops it in midstream, starts a new story, finishes that, then comes back to finish the first story, kind of like a burger. Half a bun, patty, the other half of the bun. A sandwich. They're actually technically called in academic literature, Markin sandwiches. There are at least six of them in the Gospel of Mark. Our text is one today, and you'll catch it as we go along. But here's the story in brief in Mark chapter 5, 21 through 43. There's Jairus, a synagogue official, who asks Jesus to come to his house to heal his dying daughter. Jesus sets off, but on the way, a woman with a bleeding problem surreptitiously touches his cloak and is immediately healed. Jesus stops, acknowledges the woman, blesses her faith. And just at that very moment, word comes from Jairus' house that his daughter has died. It's too late. 
Jesus exhorts Jairus to have faith. They all arrive at his house. Jesus takes the little girl by the hand. She comes back to life. Two amazing stories. One within another. A burger, a sandwich. Let's start at 521. Mark 5, 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered before him and he was by the sea. 22 and 23. And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came and seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come that you may lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and live. Jairus is a leader of the synagogue. He is prominent, upper crust, belongs to the upper class. He lives in Brentwood, <laughs> a lifelong Tennessean, well known in the community, probably recently arrived from California. I've been meeting a lot of Californians here. I wonder which state I'm living in and preaching in now. There's only one problem that Jairus has, only one. His daughter, who by the way goes to Harpep, is dying. He has everything in life, but his child is terminal. The situation is hopeless. Disaster. And then there's the woman in the inner story. She has been dying a slow death by bleeding. Probably a gynecological problem. 5, 25, and 26. And a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years and having suffered much under many physicians and having spent all that she had and was not being helped but rather was becoming worse, I don't particularly care for Mark's take on physicians here, but it's the inspired text, so. There is no doubt that the relentlessness of her condition describes the hopelessness of her state. Suffered much, seen by many doctors, spent all, many, much all, only to get worse for 12 years. She too is hopeless, socially outcast, unable to be a mother, rejected, ritually unclean because of the hemorrhage, living death, hopeless, disaster. So number one in the handout is disaster. The terrors of death are ever present. The threats of disaster surround us on every side. Diseases galore. Hospitals and doctors currently use a system, had been until the last few years, using a system of about 18,000 codes to describe medical services in bills that we send to insurers. Apparently, 18,000 was not enough for administrators. So recently, in a new federally mandated version 
called the ICD-10 International Classification of Diseases 10, which has now been expanded further into International Classification of Diseases 11, expanded those codes from 18,000 to over 150,000, adding codes that precisely describe what the medical condition was and how it was caused. There are codes for injuries in opera houses, injuries in art galleries, injuries in squash courts, and if you can believe it, even for injuries in chicken coops. <laughs> there are separate codes for being bitten by a turtle and struck by a turtle. Go figure. Oh, and if you walk, if you walk into a lamppost for the first time, the code is W22.02XA. Of course, if you're stupid enough to do it again, <laughs> it's W22.02.XD. Walked into a lamppost, subsequent encounter. <laughs> and then there's V91.07XA for, get this now, burns due to water skis on fire. <laughs> water skis on fire, who knew? You know what my favorite one is? R46.1 for bizarre personal appearance. <laughs> one of these days, I'm going to bill one of my patients for bizarre personal appearance. Someone is raking up our precious taxpayer dollars to come up with this stuff. I don't know. But I know this. Diseases are everywhere. All kinds of injuries and afflictions. Potential death looms. Disasters are everywhere. It doesn't take much. A drunken driver, a lightning strike, a riptide, a fire, a virus, could be you. A swimming pool without a gate. A drunk, a madman with a gun. Could be one of our children. And here's Jairus. Hopeless. And here's the woman. Hopeless. Disaster. What do they do? Where do they go? And, in, and when it hits you and me, what do we do? Where do we go? Outside of these two larger stories, there are actually two little cameos of comedy in this sandwich kind of like bits of comic relief in this otherwise serious story of death and disease. Pickles in the burger, if you will, that cause you to pucker. Here's the first pickle, Mark 5, 30 and 31. Pickle number one. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that power went out from him, 
turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing upon you and you say, Who touched me? Dude, we've got a thronging crowd in here. And you want to know who touched you? The irony of this little cameo is that although Jesus knows who touched him, and the woman knows that she touched Jesus, and we the readers know that she did touch Jesus, it's only these ingenuous and naive disciples, which you will note are male, all of them, who are absolutely ignorant. All kinds of people are touching you, Jesus, so what's the stuff about who touched me? They don't know Jesus, do they? They don't know of his sensitivity and his omnipotence. They don't know of his love, his care, his mercy. Nope, they don't. They have no faith. This is the fifth chapter of Mark. In the last four chapters, he has healed a lot of people, including one of these disciples' own mother-in-law. He has stilled a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He has healed a demoniac, exorcised demons. But the disciples here are still faithless, stuck in disbelief. So number two is disbelief. Disaster and then disbelief. That was the first comic interlude, the first pickle. Here's the second, the second pickle. Jesus is at Jairus' house and he tells the mourning crowd that the little girl is not dead, but only asleep. 5, 39, and 40. And entering, he said to them, why create a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but sleeps. And they began ridiculing him. Who is this madman? He thinks the child is asleep. This guy is crazy. No, they don't know Jesus either. They don't know Jesus' omnipotence. They don't know that he is God. They don't know he's the one who gives life. They're just like the disciples. No faith. Disbelief. Despite all that Jesus has done thus far. Several years ago, Randy Reed, a 34-year-old construction worker, was welding on top of a nearly completed water tower outside of Chicago. Reed unhooked his safety gear to reach for some pipes when another metal cage next to him slipped and bumped the scaffolding on which he was standing. The scaffolding tipped, Reed lost his balance, and he fell 110 feet, face down on a pile of dirt, just missing rocks and construction debris. Fellow worker called 911. When the paramedics arrived, they found Reed thankfully conscious, moving, and complaining only of a sore back. So they put him on a backboard, and as they were headed to the ambulance, Reed had only one request Don't drop me! Don't drop me! <laughs> God protects us from a 110 foot fall, our eternal problem of sin. And we're still nervous about three-foot heights, our temporal disasters. 
I don't want to make light of our temporal disasters. They loom large and are threatening and overwhelming. But compared to the eternal problem of sin that God took care of, when you put them in juxtaposition, when you see them relatively, all of our temporal woes are three-foot falls. But Mark here is therefore telling us, don't be like them, those disciples and those bystanders. Faithless. Disbelieving. But it's obvious who Mark wants us to emulate. Faithful Jairus on one hand, but especially the faith-filled woman. Let's look at Jairus first. He had faith. He faced three challenges and overcame all of them by faith. First, he had a dying daughter. But he knew only Jesus could heal her. So he came to Jesus with faith. Second, there was this delay caused by some woman who stopped Jesus in the middle of his coming to Jairus' house. Can you imagine that? It's like being in an ambulance with your daughter on the way to the ER. And 24 and 40 and 65 are all completely clogged at rush hour. The ambulance is stuck. It's going nowhere. Delay. But Jairus doesn't give up. He stays with Jesus. Faith. Especially since in his third challenge here, he gets a phone call, something like a phone call, 535. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why still bother the teacher? And then what happens? Verse 36. But Jesus, overhearing the word that was spoken, said to the synagogue official, Don't be afraid. Only believe or have faith. And at the urging of Jesus, Jairus goes home with him. Faith. So Jairus had faith, all right. But the woman with the hemorrhage, she's the one to watch out for here. The paragon of faith and the exemplar of discipleship. Jesus even uses her as a model to Jairus. He tells her after she is healed, 534, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be whole from your affliction. 535, while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why bother the teacher anymore? Notice that while he was still speaking to the woman, They came saying, just as Jesus is applauding the woman's faith, Jairus gets the text message that his daughter has died, 536. But Jesus, overhearing the word that was spoken, said to the synagogue official, don't be afraid, only believe. And those two verses, 535 and 536, are placed in such close proximity, almost picture in picture, that Jesus was probably pointing to the woman As he assured Jesus, don't be afraid. Did you see what just happened to her? Only believe. Have faith. And so these two stories in the sandwich are linked together. But there is a stronger link between the two stories. Jump down, if you will, to 542. 542. And immediately the little girl got up and began to walk around. For she was 12 years old. She was 12. Guess how many years the woman with the hemorrhage had been suffering? 
5.25. And the woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. The Holy Spirit slash Mark is very clearly intentionally linking those two stories together. One was 12 when she died. The other one had been dying for 12 years. And she got healed. And and Jesus says, Jairus, you just saw that. You saw her 12-year-long disease healed. Only believe, Jairus, for your 12-year-old. Only believe. Have faith. And the Holy Spirit through Mark tells us to have faith. Be utterly dependent upon Jesus in faith. When stricken with disaster. Utterly dependent upon Jesus. This marked women, woman here, she's really something else. She's the ultimate model of a faith-filled Jesus follower in this text. Why do I say that? Take a look at some of the subtleties of her story. 527. Hearing about Jesus coming in the crowd behind, touched, she touched his garment. Behind, behind Jesus. Now you're wondering what's so special about that. She was coming up to Jesus covertly. That's why she was behind him. Yes, of course. But another word closely related to this Greek one is almost always used in the Gospel of Mark to denote the position of the disciple following Jesus. The disciple is always behind Jesus, following him. Look with me at Mark 1, 17 and 20. This is Jesus calling the disciples, follow me. It literally says, come behind me. And I will make you fishers of men. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat and followed. It literally went behind him. And look at 8.34 as well. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after, same word, come behind me. He must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so with this marked woman's location being pinpointed as being behind Jesus, we're getting the first hint, albeit subtle, that this woman is the disciple we must emulate. Not only is she in the right position, she displays praiseworthy faith, 534. And he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be whole from your affliction. It's interesting that others in the Gospel of Mark are called children by Jesus. But nobody else gets called daughter. No one else in the Gospel of Mark has the privilege of being called daughter or, for that matter, son. Nobody else. Only this woman. This lady has become part of the family of God. She has become a daughter to God. Impurity removed, status restored, rendered whole. 
Oh, and did you also notice that with the label daughter, there are now two daughters in this sandwich. A burger with two patties. One daughter had a powerful father to work on her behalf, to summon Jesus to her bedside. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, with lots of servants at his beck and call. The other daughter, our marked woman, this poor, penniless woman, had no one to speak for her. She had no champions. She was the lowest of the low. No one to fight for her. No one to refer her to Jesus. No one to bring her to him or him to her. And Jesus calls her. Daughter. Henceforth, he would be her champion. He would fight for her. For now, she was his daughter. She who was at the bottom of the social scale, who intruded upon Jesus' seemingly important mission on behalf of the daughter of someone else who was at the top of the social ladder, this lowly woman who dared to breach protocol by touching Jesus when unclean, has now become herself the daughter at the center of the story. Jesus cares even for the simplest and seemingly most insignificant of his followers. Cares enough to stop Cares enough to see. Cares enough to call her daughter. Our God, the God who loves, the God who stops for the unimportant, the God who looks upon the stricken, our Father. And this woman believed in such a God. She, in faith, was utterly dependent upon Jesus when stricken with disaster. And that's why she is the paragon of discipleship. So number three is discipleship. I don't know what disaster has stricken you this year. Perhaps you're in between disasters. Perhaps you haven't had one recently. If so, I just want to encourage you that it's just a matter of time. <laughs> you will have one. I've had a few in my life already this year, as I mentioned last time. Our frail human condition is fraught with disasters. Death and disease will soon hit us or a loved one close to us just a matter of time. Do you know Jesus cares? Will you be utterly dependent on Jesus when that happens? Will you be his son, his daughter, demonstrating faith like this woman did? Of course, it starts with your 
placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your only God and Savior from sin. But it goes beyond that to a continuing, ongoing, progressing, growing faith. All of our Christian lives, utterly dependent on him, especially when stricken with disaster, like this woman. And there's more to this incredible lady. Do you want to see? 526. And having suffered, and if you can, if you have notes, or if your Bible's open, and you have a pen, underline that word, suffered. Much under many physicians. In all of Mark's gospel, this verb suffer is only used of two people. Our marked woman and Jesus. Here's Jesus, 831. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer. These are the only two instances of that verb in the entirety of the gospel. Of no one else in the gospel is this word used. Only of our lady and Jesus. Mark slash the Holy Spirit is deliberately portraying her as close to Jesus. A paragon of discipleship because she follows in his footsteps behind him. She is suffering just like her Lord. And Mark isn't finished with these comparisons. 5.29. And immediately her fountain of blood dried up and she knew in her body that she had been healed from her, next word, affliction. And 5.34. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be whole from your affliction. The Greek word for affliction also means to scourge or to flog. It's the same Greek word. For both. Well, now here's another coincidence. In all of Mark, there are only two people who are scourged slash afflicted using this verb. Guess who? The woman and whenever a preacher asks you a question from the pulpit, you're always safe in answering Jesus. <laughs> and you will almost always be right, and you are. Here's what Jesus said, 1034, prophesying about what was going to happen to him. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him. Same Greek word, only of these two people. The same word used of the woman in our sandwich. Jesus and the woman. She is following Jesus' model. She is the paragon of discipleship. Can I throw in one more coincidence here. This is an amazing text. Just incredible. 525. And a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years. Blood. You can probably guess what's coming, right? Yep. Only two people in Mark's gospel are linked with the word blood. Only two. Mark 14, 24. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many. Only two people in the entire gospel of Mark have blood. The rest of them are bloodless zombies. (laughs) Only two. This woman and her Lord. Linking her to Jesus with this unique vocabulary, Mark and the Holy Spirit are telling us that this was one very special woman. A true disciple following Jesus. And we are called to be like her. Utterly dependent on Jesus when stricken with disaster. No matter how dire the situation, no matter how hopeless the circumstance. Now the text does not teach us that every instance of disease and death will be overcome. Well, yes, they will be. On another day. A day in glory. Then death will be vanquished and diseases will be banished forever. But that cure of disease and the defeat of death may not happen necessarily on this side of eternity. The focus of this text is rather upon the faith of the disciple, the Christ follower, in Christ's ability to to handle every disastrous contingency of disease and death in this life. How he will handle it, I do not know. But handle it, he will. Maybe it'll be simply by strengthening you through those trials. Maybe he will remove them from you. Will you have faith? When disaster strikes you or a loved one, will you? 5, 41 to 42. And grasping the hand of the child, he said to her, Talita kum, that's Aramaic for, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. And immediately the little girl got up. Do you catch that other link between these two stories? Jesus touches the little girl and the woman touched his garment. Mark 5, 25 through 27. And a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years and having suffered much under many physicians and having spent all that she had and was not being helped but rather was becoming worse, hearing about Jesus coming in the crowd behind, touched his garment. I want us to pay attention to how this woman is introduced. Notice it's one long sentence. And in my translation, I've kept it as a sentence. I think in the English, other translations, they break it up. But it's very fascinating. There are seven Clauses that come back to back before the main verb touched. Seven participial clauses for those of you who are grammarians trained by easily. A cascade of seven items ending in touched. Next slide will show that out for you. We could read the text this way. Having a flow having suffered, having spent, not being helped, becoming worse, hearing, coming, touched. To touch a hemorrhaging woman was considered unclean in those days. 
to touch a corpse was unclean. In other words, uncleanness was contagious. You could catch it touching the wrong things. But not so with Jesus. In his case, it was the other way around. Everything that he touched or was touched by him or touched him became clean. He touches a bleeding woman. He doesn't become unclean. She becomes clean. He touches a corpse. He doesn't become unclean. She becomes clean and comes back to life. You see, things don't work normally when Jesus touches. When he touches, it's one-way traffic from Jesus to the things he touched or that touch him. People are healed. People are brought back to life. Their strickenness of disaster is overcome. So if you are suffering today, stricken with disaster, here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to feel the touch of Christ. Would you go to someone you trust here who cares for you and ask for a hug? Maintaining appropriate social propriety and distance. At least ask for a pat on the back. And as you go up to this friend, share with them your disaster and let them pray for you. I don't come from a hugging culture, but over the years I've learned the value of touch as I grew as a Christian, as I learned about the skin as a dermatologist, and as I live alone as a celibate. Our fellow believers are our interface with Christ. They are the skin of Jesus that we touch. And so, folks, if someone comes up to you and asks for a hug today or any time, please let them feel the touch of Christ. And after you give them the hug or the pat or the high five they ask for, tell them, may you feel the touch of Christ. And pray with them about the disaster they shared with you. Here at Stonebridge, we want huggers to be open to giving hugs. And in the first service, I said, we want huggies. And then I realized that just doesn't sound right. <laughs> hug receivers. We want hug givers to be free to giving hugs and hug receivers open to receiving hugs. Because you see that Church is the skin of Christ, incarnating the love of Christ. It is through our fellow believers that those who are stricken will feel the touch of Christ. So let's dispense the touch of Christ to those suffering. If you are one of those suffering, Jesus cares for you, daughter. Son, trust him. Be desperately dependent on him every day, but especially as we have learned in the days of suffering, of disease, of death, when calamities, disasters strike. May you feel the touch of Christ in your hour of need from your brothers and sisters. And then, Go and have a burger for lunch.
Let's pray. What a text, Father. Thank you. Thank you for his intricacies that deliver a punch to our gut and move our hearts even to tears. Thank you for the story of this unsung, unnamed, no speech woman who demonstrated a faith so powerful that it won the admiration of the creator of the universe. Would you strengthen us to be like her? May the Holy Spirit work its way in our hearts, changing us, causing us to be desperately dependent on you when disaster strikes, which it surely will. So that in and, in, in and through our afflictions and distresses, your name may be glorified, your son's kingdom extended, and your people may be edified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. possible.